this Christmas season, though, we have been we have been talking about can Christmas still change the world? And we began this series a couple weeks ago. Pastor Bruce did, and he showed us how we how Jesus can really be first this Christmas if we're willing to adjust our Christmas cravings. Um, and make Jesus a number one craving instead of the gifts and the food, and in Pastor Bruce's case, the fudge. Um, so, and I, I am on board with Pastor Bruce. I partook in some fudge eating last night, even. So, um, Pastor Mark then last week he talked about and explained how Jesus can affect our Christmas giving by remembering that giving is a good thing, and it's not wrong to be generous, and that Jesus is the gift that truly satisfies. And so this morning we're going to continue to take a look at this question, can Christmas still change our world? It's a great question. And if you were to ask my five-year-old and my two-year-old, can Christmas still change your world? Of course they'd scream yes, because they're thinking of it in a little different way. Um, To give you an example of that, Elena, my two-year-old daughter, um, and so this baby dedication scenario plays out every day in our home, seemingly. So, um, we were watching, uh, we were watching, watching TV. It was probably football, and <laughs> it was it was definitely football. Um, that's I love doing that, and every Christmas seems to. It seems to change her world because she's always learning something new about Christmas. Obviously, she's only had a few of them. And you've probably seen the commercial for um, Chevy where Santa Claus is working as the salesperson and at the, at, the, at the dealership, and he ends up eating the other salesperson's cookies and milk and all that kind of stuff. And his coworkers are a little confused because they think he just might be Santa. Okay, So they don't know really how to take him or anything, and so... One of the first times this commercial came on, I asked Elena, I said, Elena, who is that? And she said, that, that's Christmas. I said, all right. Now, I, I was referring to the person who looked like Santa, so I said, all right, we have a little work to do. But when the commercial came on a few weeks later, remember, she was, it was changing her world. Okay? And, and I said, Elena, who is that? The second time. And she said, that's Jesus. I'm like, oh no. So, so we, really, we really have a ways to go in our house. Um, <laughs> but anyways, she, she was a little closer, but still has a ways to go. Um, but, you know, cr- Christmas can sure be a lot of fun with, with kids. It's just, uh, you, get, you get to laugh with them as much as at them when they're really young, it seems like. And so a lot of fun things that go on. Um, but a lot of times I have to catch myself when I think of this question, can Christmas still change your world? Because I want it so badly to change Elena's world and Anthony's world. And I have to keep in mind, I need to remember that Christmas can still change my world. And especially at this point in the Christmas season, because Christmas, as you know, is exactly one week away. And it can be very easy to get caught up in the chaos of getting everything done this week. And if you're anything, if you guys are like Kristen and I, there's still plenty to do this week, isn't there? So what does this week leading up to Christmas look like for you and your family? I thought I'd throw this question out um, to a number of different people. I asked some different people. I even threw it out on Facebook, and some of you sitting out there responded to what Christmas looks like for your family. I will not include names, 
um, as far as the responses go. But this is one response I got. Uh, this is from email. It said, this has been, talking about last week, saying this has been my crazy week. So apparently last week was their crazy week. And she was saying that the, her kids are done with school on Friday. So she's saying hopefully next week, which is this coming week, will be just a few fun projects with the kids and packing and traveling. And I thought, well, that sounds, that sounds good. And, and if you'd know this person, they're, they're one who just, they really have it together. Kind of plan everything out. They just seem to get everything organized and planned in time. But there are some other comments. So one person said, my week is looking pretty scary as I haven't even begun my shopping. Another person said, it's going to be very busy, but fun busy. One person responded and said one word, insane. <laughs> um, after that, someone responded and said, not quite insane, but up at the crazy level. And my wife, Kristen, threw in her two cents and her take on my question when she said, quote, your crazy plus my crazy equals we're probably not going to sleep. <laughs> so I... And, Seeing as though she's the one who runs and organizes a lot of things at home, I, she probably knows a lot more than I do on far as what we have to do this week. Uh, but this could maybe be easily a post on any one of your Facebook pages too. And you can probably relate to a few of these comments. Um, some of you are probably thinking about your week leading up to Christmas even right now, saying, well, after church, I have to fill in the blank. And one thing that is certain for all of us is there will be plenty to do this week. But not even even so much to um, not even so much to do. We still we still don't want to miss what Christmas is all about. We don't want to get to next week and realize next week that after everything had been planned and eaten and opened and all the relatives visited and discover that we forgot the reason we celebrate Christmas in the first place. And clearly, that's Jesus. How disappointing. And, and this makes right now the perfect time for us to, to discuss our question for today, which is simply this. Can Jesus really be found in the Christmas chaos? Pastor Paul, with everything that I have going on, I'm hoping I can get a little Jesus in there. And that's true. We, we all have very busy weeks coming up, but how can we do that? You know, the answer to this question, can Jesus really be found in the Christmas chaos, the answer, I guess, is, is really quite simple. The answer is, yes, Jesus can be found in the Christmas chaos. But Jesus can be found in the Christmas chaos if, I believe, we're willing to search. If we're willing to search. You know, and we know this is true because Matthew 7, 7 through 8 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. Those who seek find. And to one who knocks, the door will be open. Before we even get to our text this morning, I just want to make this point. We all need to understand that like any search, we must be willing to start our search. Seeking, in Matthew 7, Jesus said, if you seek, you will find. And seeking is a verb, it's an action word. And like any other action, we can't just decide to, but that decision should be followed by the action. I compare it a lot to working out, which I don't claim to do a ton of anymore. <laughs> um, but if I say I need to work out and express my desire, uh, that my expressed desire may turn into a full-blown decision at some point to officially 
work out. But have I started working out yet? Well, no. I've just decided that I think I should. Okay? And so I could say to someone, you know what? I decided to work out. And they would follow that statement up with, oh, well, what are you doing to work out? How are you doing your workout? Where are you working out? Those are minor details, of course. But the reality is if you never start physically working out, you aren't working out. Okay? As disappointing as that may be. Um, The same is true in the spiritual sense. You can't want to start searching for Jesus. You can't just want to start searching for Jesus. But if it is not followed by an action, you haven't really begun your search. Jesus isn't hiding from anyone this Christmas season or during this week of Christmas. He can be found by anyone who is willing to actively search or willing to actively seek Him. So whether you've actually begun your search for Jesus this Christmas or not, Let's use our time together this morning to either begin or continue our search for Jesus this Christmas season. If you never start searching, you'll never find him. And as they say, a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. And so this morning, we're taking the first step on our search to find Jesus in the midst of our Christmas chaos. So today let's begin our search with a small group of guys who are on a search for Jesus and use their story as an example of how we should search. In your Bibles, if you please could turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to start right away at verse 1. It's a pretty familiar story, especially during the Christmas season. It's the story of the wise men. And it says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come to you, from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So the wise men had officially begun, they've begun their search. They presumed, in the beginning of the story, their presumed idea turned into a full-blown action. They had set out to search for Jesus. And so we're going to look at a few points of how they searched for Jesus and apply them to how we can find Jesus in the chaos of this last week before Christmas. So the most amazing part of the story to me, it's a very familiar story, um, 
but the most amazing part to me is how is the star. The star is interesting to me because you would think other people would have noticed it other than just three wise men. Um, but they were the only ones who followed it, I guess. It's amazing that God used a divine star that literally moved and that clearly and closely guided them to where they needed to go through the entire trip. God's hand was clearly on the trip. If I saw a star and I felt the Spirit of the Lord tell me to follow that star, that would be an incredible divine journey, wouldn't it? I mean, who wouldn't? So, verse 2 very clearly describes the star as his star, referring to Jesus. God used his star to draw or lead the wise men to himself. And it's interesting because I believe God does the exact same thing in each one of our lives, especially around Christmas time. The first thing we see in this text is the Spirit of the Lord is always drawing or leading us to himself, isn't he? Whether it's a star in the sky or something man-made, the Spirit of the Lord has a placed in the heart of every man a desire to be connected with God. Is there any wonder that the highest church attendance seemingly is on Christmas and New Year's, the two most significant holidays on the Christian calendar? And you may say, well, Pastor Paul, that's more to do with someone's upbringing or sense of tradition or duty. And, and I would agree with you. I, th- I think you're right. But a lot of that probably is. But those are all things God uses to draw us closer to himself. Let me give you a personal example of this, of, of the Spirit of the Lord working um, in our lives. And I'll just share one from my own personal life. Um, maybe it would be considered a star-type moment. But I grew up in, in, uh, down in Menominee Falls, pretty much, in an excellent Christian home. Great parents. Um, I was the youngest of four, two older sisters and an older brother. And I was saved when I was about six, and... But as I got into middle school and high school, God had fallen from number one in my life to someplace much lower. And I I hadn't really turned my back on God, necessarily. Uh, But I had grown a growing hardness to the things of God. And I'm sure all of us can think of some times in our lives where we just knew our hearts were getting hardened to the things of God instead of being softened to the things of God. Um, and, And that's where I was. During these years, my parents stayed very consistent with me. Um, you know, we went to church every Sunday and Wednesday, and and no matter what, even if I was tired or I had been out hanging out the night before, and they continued to lovingly hold myself and all my siblings to a godly standard. And those were the things that God used, I believe, to draw me back to himself, all those situations. I didn't know it at the time, but the Spirit of the Lord was leading and drawing me to Himself during those difficult years. And the summer before my junior year of high school, I was hanging out in my room, just thinking about stuff, um, when it, when it kind of hit me, this thought. I thought to myself, you know, I have to make a decision. I need to either fully recommit my life to Christ or completely reject Him. Maybe you've been in that situation before. I couldn't continue doing what I was doing. So that night, like most teenagers do, I got hungry. Got in my car. I drove to the pick and save right down the road from us and bought some Totino's pizza rolls. Just because they sounded good at the time. 
And what I did is I used the receipt from those Totino's pizza rolls as the bookmark in my Bible to remind me of that significant day when I decided to recommit to following Jesus with my entire life. And that night had nothing to do with Totino's pizza rolls, although they are very good. (laughs) If anyone would like to share some, I'd always be willing to do that. Um, But it had everything to do with the culmination of the Spirit of the Lord drawing me back to Himself. That's really what it was. I didn't know it at the time, but in reality that's what was happening. You could say, you could say that God was using those things, was using the going to church every Sunday and Wednesday and, and all the things that I had heard and the countless things my parents repeated over and over to the point of frustration that I thought in the teen years. And, but they were right. God had used all those things to draw me back to himself. So maybe you can think of a star moment. What's a star moment for you when you have recognized the Spirit of the Lord drawing you back to himself or drawing you in any way? Because it's really happening all the time all around us. Maybe we just don't realize it all that often. So how does this help us find Jesus in the Christmas chaos? Well, we need to remain aware of the fact that God is always drawing us to himself this week. That the wise men were aware of the star God was using to lead them, and he wants us to recognize them anyways. He may be drawing us to himself this week. Recognize those moments this week and respond with action. The second point is uh, there's a situation that I believe the wise men were in at some point during their trip. Now, some may argue that it took just a matter of months. Some may say it was up to two years as far as how long it took the wise men to get to Jesus. All I know is that either way, that's a long time. I've gone on long trips before. Traveling for an entire day or two is a long trip. But then you get there and... You stay there and then you travel back, okay? But imagine traveling, literally traveling, for months and months and and possibly even years. You know, I, I would think at some point they would have found themselves in this situation, hanging out some night, probably in some desert, scorching hot somewhere. Maybe they traveled at night. That would probably be the wise thing to do in a desert. But sitting in their tent some night after having gone through rough terrain and deserts and hot weather and sandstorms and all the stuff that they could have experienced, do you think at some point they were sitting there in their tent talking and said, what are we doing? Like, really? We've been traveling for months. We left our wives and families and nice homes to follow a random star. Logic probably was a gift of theirs. They were very wise men, well-educated. And they may have said, maybe our wives were right. This is crazy. You know? And, but the thing is, is that the next morning, they clearly got up and said, well, let's go. No matter what the situation was. They never gave up. And a good thing they didn't, because as we all know, they were part of a very significant story. And the second idea that I want to talk to you about this morning is, that we see in the text, is don't, give up. Don't give up. Parents, sometimes raising your kids for God around Christmas is like following that star. You stop and ask your you stop and ask yourself the question, really? We're really doing all this? You know, 
when you change the conversation with your kids from what they have to have for Christmas to what the real meaning of Christmas is for the 50th time, don't give up. When you change the conversation or when for the fifth year in a row you're reading the Christmas story around the Christmas tree and you look around and your kids are just eyeing up the presents. <laughs> they're, just, they're just waiting for you to be done so that they can tear into their stuff, right? Okay? Don't give up. Don't give up that tradition. Or maybe for you it's the frustration of inviting your unsaved friends or family members to church on Christmas Eve for the 17th time and it just never works out. Don't give up. Be like the wise men and don't give up. Continue to do the right and godly thing no matter what. We should not give up. And, and parents, it goes even deeper than this because this is a spiritual principle that we find in Deuteronomy 6, 6-9 through 9, where it says, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is how you raise kids to live for Christ. Don't give up. As a teacher, I use this principle quite often as a teaching strategy. You see it all the time in the classrooms. In the classroom, this is a common and proven way to really teach concepts. For example, how does a seventh grader ever figure out how to do algebra, how to understand algebra? Well, there's a process to it. First of all, they start in preschool or at home learning how to count, learning the value of numbers. In, in first grade, in their primary grades, we teach them place value, simple addition and subtraction. In, in third grade, kids begin to master multiplication. In fourth grade, it's division. By fifth grade, they begin to get introduced to simple algebraic equations and so on. And also throughout their entire schooling, whether in public or private schools, kids are constantly developing grade-level appropriate problem-solving skills. Until finally, around 7th or 8th grade, depending, it could be anywhere from 6th to freshman year, in that range, kids are able to look at an algebraic problem and say, hmm, okay, I can see how to do that. That makes sense. Do you see how this is a process? It's concept upon concept, precept upon precept, line upon line. Repeat them again and again to your children, going back to Deuteronomy. Talk about them when you're at home, homework, and on the road, and so on. This is how you raise kids for Christ, so don't give up. And moms and dads and grandmas or grandpas, continue reading the Christmas story. Continue guiding your conversations with your kids. Continue reinforcing those godly expectations that you know are right and true. Continue reminding your kids and grandkids why we give gifts at Christmas. This week of Christmas, it's busy, it's crazy, but don't give up on communicating the real reason for Christmas to your kids and to family members. Based on what we know of the wise men, they were very well-educated, bright men who were clearly led by the Holy Spirit to follow a star for months or years. But the reality is, is you don't travel like that for months and years without a plan, do you? This wasn't a, 
calling up the guys and saying, Hey, I got this star. What do you think? Are we leaving? Do you want to leave right now? That's probably not how it happened. There was some type of plan, definitive plan that they came up with. And it, it may have been as simple as, Okay, we're leaving in the morning, you guys. So God called us to do this. This is what we're going to do. So bring, you bring the campfire stuff. You bring the camping gear. And you bring food, some food and water. And let's go from there. And of course, everyone, please don't forget your clean socks and underwear, change your clothes, toothbrush. And all the mothers said, Amen. <laughs> it, it may have been something as simple as that. But it may have been something even more elaborate. They may, have, they may have mapped out a couple of options kind of in every direction, having a good, clear understanding of they may be out on the road here for a while, and so where are some places that are certain mile markers away that we could stop to maybe gather more supplies and everything like that? They, it, they may have been something a little bit more complicated like that, or, or, or maybe the reality is, is they were pretty well-to-do people, so they just hired a couple servants and said, listen, we need to book you guys for I don't know how long but we got this star we need to follow, and so could you kind of do all this stuff for it? But, but in, in some capacity, they had to have a plan in some way. The fact is they had a plan. And they probably realized this was a pretty significant journey because, after all, God told them to follow a star. So they would want to make sure they could prepare themselves as well as they could so they wouldn't complicate or throw off this divine search for the Savior. You know, there's a lot to be said for a plan, especially if you ask my wife. She loves the plans. And that's good, because I love the plans too. <clears throat> but to at least have an idea or two of how are you going to prepare for such a significant event just really makes sense. Okay, If they didn't plan, it may have taken them longer to get there, or at worst, they may have not survived the harsh conditions they faced on such a long journey. You know, and during Christmas in our American culture, there's so much to do, so much to remember, that if you don't plan the important things, you may, you may be very busy, but you'll never accomplish the aspects of Christmas that are important to you. You've got to have a plan. Imagine wrapping all the presents that you bought, that you spent time making or bought and everything, making all the food, inviting everyone over to your house, and you go to put the presents under the tree at Christmas and realize, oh... We forgot to set up the Christmas tree. It's pretty anticlimactic. You would have had to plan a day to grab the tree from the basement or the store or the forest, wherever you get it from. You'd have to take the time to put it up. You'd have to take the time to decorate it and everything. Um, you had to have planned a time for that. You know, the same idea is true for all of us this week is we have to plan to find Jesus this Christmas. And here are a few simple things, as I was just thinking and praying about this morning, that I came up with. A few simple things that we could do to plan for Jesus this Christmas. It could be very simple. Read and discuss the Christmas story before you open your presents. Number two, you could spend a few extra minutes at night with your kids when you're putting them to bed or your grandkids. Your, maybe even your brother or your sister, your little brother or sister, and share with them the significance of Christmas before they go to bed. You know, maybe focus on making interactions with coworkers and friends, neighbors and strangers 
maybe for you is focusing on, I just need to make those experiences and interactions positive this week. Because you know what? Sharing the love of Jesus is quite simply that. Maybe just smile. Maybe personally spend some time rereading what led up to the events of Christ's birth. Look for ways to appropriately incorporate the meaning of Christmas in your activities. Maybe start a new tradition this year. Or restart an old meaningful one you remember. Ultimately, what you have to do is put Jesus on on your to-do list this week. Make sure He makes it. Make sure you have a plan. Whenever you do this this week, be sure to plan to find Jesus this Christmas. And one more thing is I think we have to understand that in all the busyness and in all the stuff that we have to do this week is we have to keep in mind that no matter how much we've already committed to, how many houses we have to stop at, how many work parties we have to go to, how many things are on that list, is we have to realize that no matter what, is that it's not too late this year to find Jesus. Pastor Paul, I'm already committed to 1,800 things this week. I don't know if I can even go to work. I'm committed to so much. Some of you, may, some of you took the whole week off to prepare for Christmas. There's a lot to do, but remember, it's not too late. Don't feel guilty for having committed to all these things or said yes to all these things. Don't feel guilty for all the stuff that we do. Man, that's all part of the fun and joy of Christmas. Booking yourself way too tight with family and friends is fun, though. It, it is. And eating a little bit too much. Don't tell me you don't enjoy it. There's, there's nothing wrong with those realities but we have to remember is no matter how much you've committed yourself to or what you've done is that it's not too late to find Jesus. No matter what you have planned, what is done or needs to get done, it's not too late to find Jesus in your family this Christmas. And so the question we started with, can Jesus be found in the Christmas chaos, can be answered with a simple, yes, he can. But only if, only if we are willing to search actively search for him this week. And from the story of the wise men, we found that we can actively search for him in in some very practical ways. Number one, we can recognize the Spirit of the Lord constantly drawing us to himself. Number two, we can continue to search for him no matter what. We never give up on doing what's right, doing what's godly. And the third thing is by having a plan for this week of how we can actively search for Jesus in our Christmas chaos. And remember, with Jesus, the best thing is is that you always have hope because it's never too late. It's never too late. Would you please stand with me this morning as we pray?